Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Hey guys, it's Scott Lips, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Lip Service. On today's show, we're joined by two members of one of the hottest rock bands in the world right now, Sam Kiska and Danny Wagner of the band Greta Van Fleet. In the last four or five years, Greta Van Fleet have already been nominated for three Grammys. They actually received the award for the best rock album. They had the number one album in the country with their debut. We're actually on their sophomore record, which we'll talk about now. And they performed on SNL and on stuff like Elton John's Academy Award Party and sold over 1 million tickets worldwide, all at the ripe old age of 21 to 24. Wow. So um, excited to have them here. They're a band of brothers, plus Danny, the drummer. Definitely been trying to get these guys on the show for quite a while. Shout out to Jason Flan for helping to make it happen. So I'm excited to get into this conversation. We'll talk about the Battle Gardens Gate, the band's sophomore full length. It arrives on April 16th. The new single, Heat Above. We'll get into all things Greta Van Fleet. And uh, coming up in just a moment, stay tuned. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Our show today is brought to you by the fine folks at Thursday's Boot Company. You guys have seen me rocking these boots in every other picture I have on Instagram. I'm always repping them. Thursday's Boots is a bootstrap startup that makes the best handcrafted boots and sells them direct to consumer at some of the lowest markups in the footwear industry. Thursday's Boots tagline is highest quality, honest prices because they use some of the best materials like full grain leather, supple glove leather lining, and gold standard Goodyear welt construction. Thursday's Boot Company sells their boots at prices starting at just $149 with free shipping and returns. They've been featured in all the best fashion press, from Esquire to GQ to Cosmo and Vogue. And more, more importantly, they've gotten over 20,000 five-star reviews from real customers. Thursday's boots are perfect for people who understand quality and don't want to pay a high retail markup for a great-looking pair of boots that are built to last. So check them out at Thursday's Boots on Instagram. My favorite shoes, my favorite boots. You always see me repping them. You'll love it. Hey, howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. Welcome to the show. I'm joined today by the rhythm section of, for myself, the most important rock and roll band today, Greta Von Fleet, joined by Sam and Danny, bassist and drummer, Greta Von Fleet. You guys are doing all right. I think you're in LA and Nashville, respectively. Yeah, we got some distance between us today. That's correct. <laughs> and I feel like I was just telling Brittany, I feel like because I see you guys together all the time, I know you don't live together, but you're always doing stuff. And that camaraderie, that friendship that you still have is incredible because most bands like don't get along that well after being together and being on the road for years. But you guys obviously do, and you hang all the time. We do. And honestly, when we're touring, it, it, you might as well call it living with each other. It's crazy, right? Well, first of all, we should take it back to the beginning, right? Because you guys are actually, besides you, Danny, um, you guys are all brothers, right? So I'd love to know a little bit more. Take me back to the beginning, how the band formed, 
the early inception of Great Obama Fleet and, and what it was like growing up in Michigan, such a small town and from the very, very beginning. Ah, the beginning. Nobody remembers the beginning. <laughs> no, it's, it all started in, you know, humble little Frankenmuth. And I, I suppose that's why it's such an interesting uh, story to a lot of people is because this is literally nowheresville. Um, it's, it's right there in between nowhere and nowhere. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very much kind of outdoor living. We were just a bunch of kind of Northern country boys uh, jumping around in the woods all the time. And I know Daniel was simultaneously doing the same thing a few blocks away. Yeah. A few country miles away. And uh, pretty much where it started was Jake always wanted to do something with that electric guitar. You know, I think that's how he found his identity and that's how he uh, found himself within this world. And he started bringing home drummers from jazz band from high school. And he went through two, three, four of them. And then Josh started coming out and singing a little bit because he was always a kind of a theater guy, very ready to take that position, the very assuming position of a lead singer. And finally, my mom kind of pressured me to go out and start playing bass because why not? You know, I was like 12 years old. I wasn't doing anything. Yeah, because Danny, did you actually start in, on drums or did you start on guitar? Because I noticed that you play guitar on a lot of the acoustic sessions that you guys do. My introduction to music was guitar. I was probably five or six years old, probably five when I really wanted to get into music. And then I was six and I got my first guitar and took lessons. Um, but I did not want to stop at guitar. I, my parents bought me a drum kit by the time I was probably nine or ten. And that soon became my uh, um, relinquishing energy <laughs> in the basement of our home. And I started playing drums all the time. And then I bought a bass because Sam had a bass and he made bass really cool. And then, uh, yeah, and then kind of met them. Well, I, I grew up with Sam, you know, being in my class, small school. So we definitely knew each other from a young age. But it wasn't until probably end of eighth grade, beginning of uh, freshman year of high school, where actually I was one of the kids that they brought home. And this time I'm pretty sure Sam brought me home. <laughs> And Jake was kind of, you know, encouraged in the fact that there were so many people to bring home and then started playing and it kind of just, you know, set in place right there itself. Because your high school only had about 70 people in it, right? So it, was, it wasn't like there was like a plethora of drummers hanging around other than the jazz drummers. I'm assuming you, you were definitely the best rock drummer in town, Danny, at that point, right? Maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's just something in the water. So something. Maybe there's something better yet. He's probably the best jazz drummer, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. I was going to say, as, as brother Sam, just growing up, did you guys fight a lot? Was there a lot of infighting, or were you guys always, like, peaceful with each other? Oh, no, we fought. I, I assume that you guys still don't fight at this point, or you get along famously, right? <laughs> <laughs> Here I don't know. We've, we've uh, definitely worked out uh, the our creative kind of differences, and we, we, we know how to deal with that for the most part. But, and also we've kind of learned how to deal with each other on a more, you know, personal level, deal, dealing with that kind of stuff in a more mature way. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely always disagreements and uh, there always will be. And that's kind of, you know, there's such thing as friction. And if there were no friction, we'd all be floating above the earth right now. So 
And that's actually probably what makes the music so great, by the way. So I guess I'm assuming that your parents are really into music. I know your dad plays in a band. I think he actually has two bands now. Maybe he's trying to outdo you guys. Um, so growing up, was it the blues? Was it folk? Was it rock? I mean, I, obviously, a lot of your influences are, you know, apparent. But tell us kind of what you guys listen to a lot. Both of you guys that like grown up. Was it really the early blues that got you going into rock? Um, I think it was all kind of there simultaneously. And dad was always uh, very insistent and very uh, aware of the fact that we should know the root of rock and roll. Because, of course, that's what they were playing on classic rock stations. Where we come from, that's like all you really want to listen to. So he was very adamant on making sure he, you know, we knew the history and the the, re, the British reinvention of of the blues and where the blues came from. So it was all of it. It was the funk soul. It was Aretha Franklin, Sam and Dave, uh, Big Bill Brunzi. So of course. You, so Danny comes back to your house. You guys start playing, and at that point, was it magic right away? Did you guys just gel? I, I think so. I think the one of the first times um, I actually played fully with them, like a set, was actually during, well, was for a show. Your audition was at a show? Yeah, kind of. Um, it, it, well, it wasn't really set up that way. It just kind of happened. And I remember uh, Josh kind of turning around and, you know, at that point, he wasn't really quite sure if if music was exactly what he wanted to do. And and I remember, you know, after it happened, he kind of went, no, there was some there was some crazy energy there. You know, I, I, I think I felt a second wind. And, and for me, especially, it was obviously that same feeling. I would say it was borderline magical from the very get go. And were you guys playing covers at that point? Was there a gig? And I mean, even the name, because I think the history of the name is so interesting, too. Right. It's actually a woman's name, an older woman in town. And I'd love to know, as soon as you got together in that first gig, what was the name of the band? How did the band name come about after that and the, and the gigs after that? Well, at Thanks. that point, it was Greta Van Fleet, but it wasn't actually, Greta Van Fleet, in my head, was, wasn't born until that day. So were you doing covers at that first gig? Yeah. Definitely. And, and what kind of, was yeah, it we, Zeppelin? Was it the blues? What was it that you guys were doing? Basically that, yeah, yeah the blues. A lot of Hendrix, but we like a band practice would consist of, all right, what have you been listening to this week? You know, what kind of, what, what's fun to play? What kind of gets your chops going? And it was always like Clapton, a lot of Cream, um, definitely a lot of Hendrix, The Who sometimes, and definitely some Zeppelin in there. And Danny, were you listening to Mitch Mitchell, Ginger Baker? Like who were the drummers that were really inspiring you at that point? At a young age, it was definitely Mitch Mitchell. My cousin, when I was probably seven years old gave me my first Hendrix CD and he wrote in Sharpie all of his favorite songs on drums and guitar and I would go and listen to that same and I definitely still have that CD but that Mitch Mitchell was my um, inspiration at a very young age to just start really moving my arms a little more and you know be a little bit more ambitious but not too ambitious but he was pretty ambitious and then also uh um, the Who, gosh, how can you not? One of the greatest. <laughs> yeah. And at what point did you start getting into Bonham? I would say, you know, that was when um, we first, I, I always listened to Bonham too. Zeppelin was always one of the most played bands on the radio and he was so intriguing. Um, all his tones really intrigued me. I think my introduction to Bonham in depth was when, I, when we kind of started recording ourselves, even if there were little garage demos and things, because you realize how hard it is to get that tone that he had. Yeah, yeah we were talking you. about that. 
when you guys record now, by the way, is there a special recording mechanism? Are you putting the drums in a stairway? Are you are you you know working out of like ambient houses that have that room sound? Because that sound is one such of, an incredible sound to get, obviously. One of the things I really liked about like Zeppelin and bands is I don't think they had rules when they went in and, and followed their own formulas. And I think we kind of do that. It, it's definitely all scenario driven where it's it's like, where are we? What kind of studio do we have? What kind of sound do we want? Roughly. And then you kind of just experiment from there. But we have uh, recently just kind of been setting them up in a nice big room and um, lots of room mics, you know, for all sorts of different types of sound capturing. But lately on this record, we used uh, a lot of tape, recorded all the drums to tape, which was the first, um, and that nice big room sound and tried to use as few mics as possible. Um, obviously you can't use just one, Definitely. but you, you can use one as a, as a base and then kind of build around that. And we experimented with that a lot on this record, which got me, you know, learning how to use intonation a little bit more and, and, and use those dynamics and not hit the cymbal so hard. So you can use this one mic and it won't get blown out the whole time. And, and that was really fun to sort of um, get into as a drummer. Yeah. And I want to talk about the new record, but kind of walk me through the point where you guys met Jason Flan, my buddy. And thank you, Jason, for making this happen. He's been a lifelong friend for probably the last 15 years. So at a certain point, you guys are getting together, you're playing these local gigs, right? You're playing probably like biker bars and local clubs and local bars in Michigan. And at what point did you meet Jason and kind of how did you get your record deal with him? Well, we were in Detroit recording a lot of uh, demos and stuff with producer Al Sutton. And Al saw something in us to the point where he was, you know, reaching out to his friends in the industry. And, you know, next thing you know, his lawyer knows a manager and uh, that marriage is still uh, lifelong and beautiful. And from there, Jason took notice of us. And the idea was we were going to go into the record label and audition and meet him and then we'll talk about it. But like a week went by and things changed. Jason just signed us to the record label. And uh, sight unseen? Yes. But yeah, before we even uh, met him or, you know, like he heard any of the live stuff. I think he only heard like the EP and, you know, signed us. So then we went in and, uh, you know, blew the roof off this place and did a little sound check there. Amazing. So at that point, you guys are how old when you get your deal with Jason and Lava? Pretty not old. I would 17, say, 18. I would say maybe 16. Wow. Seven. Incredible. And at a certain point, things start to, you start to get a lot of traction. You even play your first arena show opening up for Bob Seger. So what was that like coming from just getting a record deal, putting out your EP? There's a ton of traction. Then before you know it, you're playing this arena show. I mean, you had to be a little bit nervous, I would assume. Yeah, I, I haven't really experienced nerves quite like that one in a yeah. while. I was, yeah. You know, it's, it's Bob Seger. It's our hometown hero. He has this aura around him, and it was just incredible. And we had no idea what it was like to play in an enclosed arena. Right. You know. Yeah, there's the echo. There's, it's, it's such a trip, for sure. And did you guys get through it okay? Was it a great performance? Did it sort of set the stage for you? You guys were like, this is what we want to do. This is it. I mean, we have our sights set on playing arenas all the time. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good performance. Um, 
honestly, to me, I judge the performances based on you know, how we interact and how we feel, not technically and how the audience is reacting. And there were a lot of <clears throat> hometown fans there, which was really exciting. I think that was one of the first times we got to experience that as a band too, in such a large scale. And things happen so quickly for you guys. I mean, any like pinch me moments, obviously you guys played for Elton John at the Academy Awards party along the way, you know, opened up for the Foo Fighters, Guns N' Roses, Saturday Night Live. There's so many milestones in this four or five year career already. What are the moments that you're still like pinching yourself? I mean, I even love the story about Tom Hanks came and hung out and listened to some music with you guys. Yeah, you just nailed a few uh, ones. <laughs> so, so what are the ones that really stand out for you? One that really shocked us all was Elton John personally calling us. Yeah. I know yeah. that freaked me out for at least a few days. Yeah, absolutely. Got to be incredible, right? And I just yep. listened to an interview that he did with you guys on his radio show on Apple. And it's got to be surreal that he's such a fan and he's coming to your gigs. I mean, it, it's definitely a pinch me moment for sure, right? Every time. Yeah. Just kind of seems like he's he's one of us. He's one of those friends. And that's so hard to grasp, you know? <laughs> definitely. What do you guys miss about touring at the moment? I mean, obviously, everyone's had this downtime. We're hoping that by next year, shows come back. What are you guys doing on your off time right now? Everything. Trying to stay <laughs> steady. Uh, we're writing and trying to be, you know, trying to get as much material out there as we can and try to stay as busy as we can. But that, I think that's ultimately, in a nutshell, what I miss most about touring is just the the consistency of of energy and busyness and and how quick things are. And we used to tour um, pretty pretty much a show like it, every other day or every day. And that was, you know, it kept things nice and busy and really fun. And the energy was always high and the crowd energy and the venues. I kind of just miss it all. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, April 16th, the new record comes out, The Battle Gardens Gate. Walk me through the process of writing this record. I feel like you guys record live a lot, which is, you know, it's sort of like old school, right? Everyone's in a room to tape, you mentioned, right? Because Danny, like most bands, I don't think record the tape anymore. So that's definitely something that I miss. Talk to me about the, the new record and the new single, Heat Above, and the process and how it came about. Well, it's funny because I feel like it's some kind of ancient thing to record live and capture that energy. But fundamentally, the music comes from that live setting. I mean, just until 20 years ago, there was such thing as not live, right? Yeah. So it's kind of it's counterintuitive to try to create a recording like all on the computer with program stuff it doesn't really make a lot of organic sense so i know we always avoided that kind of stuff and the new record was done by greg kirsten who also did the food fighters and adele i think you guys are big fans of adele i hear on the tour bus right i actually right. love the uh the rolling in the deep version that you guys did which is incredible tell me about the process of working with greg i mean it's got to be a, a great experience obviously greg's a really cool guy um, I think yeah. from very first time we met him, we realized we had a lot in common, at least musically, fundamentally. And it was just one of he's one of those guys that you can honestly sit down and just talk about anything, music, uh, you know, piano and instruments and recording techniques. And you could just talk for hours and never get bored. And we did a lot of that. And when, from the very first um time we sat down and recorded a track with him it was just it was just so calm and so positive in the room the whole time even 
you know, I kind of look back and realize, wow, we ran into a lot of brick walls that first time and busted right through all of them. And it was just, I kind of realized, yeah, I could do a whole album this way. Was most of the record done? And then you did the, the last two songs in lockdown? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And what are you excited about the new record? Is it a concept record? There's always sort of a mythology behind your music and lyrically. For me, this new record is more cinematic in nature. So how would you sort of describe it in terms of versus your older stuff? Well, it's the record that we wanted to do. It was the thing that we always wanted to do, but we could never really have that strong footing in the door. But we finally had this opportunity. People know who we are and people know what we do. So I think it was uh, the perfect time to do this kind of awesome. thing. But yeah, it's, it's half concept, of, of course. And um, yeah, a, definitely a strong step towards cinema. Do you feel like if you guys grew up in New York and lived in New York, the music would take a different turn? Because so much of it is, is rooted in nature. And I, like I said, mythology. What if you guys were living in New York? I feel like the music would definitely have a different sort of uh, viewpoint, don't you think? Ah, STEM theory. <laughs> yeah. But I would have to agree. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. What's, uh, what was your favorite venue at the moment uh, to play? Like, did you feel like Red Rocks is, was your favorite gig along the way, this path and journey of yours? Red Rocks is pretty cool and pretty unmatched <laughs> in its own way. Incredible place. And yeah. uh, in terms of what you guys are listening to right now, anything that you're inspired by? All sorts of stuff. It's ever-changing. Every time somebody asks me about, you know, what kind of music you listen to, my first thing to do is just to go to my phone and see what I've been, you know, yeah. recently added. And so any new so bands like that you guys are really inspired by during the lockdown that you discovered? Not necessarily always new. Um, I know Sam turned me on to uh, Elvis Perkins and Deerland lately, and oh. he's been years, but he is just something incredible. Kind of gives me that awesome feeling. Definitely. Well, listen, guys, I appreciate you coming on the Battle Gardens Gate, April 16th. Excited for this new record. Anything you can tell us about the new single? It's something we've had for a long time and we reworked it. And uh, I think it's still really true to the roots that it had. Amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. Are there any dates yet that you guys have set even for 2022 or it's still up in the air with everything going on? Unfortunately, it's kind of still up in the air, but we hope to have some dates soon. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, for one, will be there. I hope to meet you guys in person. I hope to hang out with Jason Flom and you guys. Definitely better when we can do this in person and hope to have you back when the new record comes out for sure. So I appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll see you guys soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Scott. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you soon. You're listening to Lips LA with Scott Lips. So that was fun, guys. It's always uh, a bit strange when you're not in the same room as people. I definitely am looking forward to the time period where I can sit in room with people again and it's not over Zoom and we don't have things freezing and people are in different states, you know? So that's definitely something to look forward to. But those guys are great. Probably the hottest rock band in America at the moment. Greta Van Fleet. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll see you guys real soon. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and Western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. 
You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.